Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Jonathan Spicer, and I'm a thoracic surgeon from McGill University in Montreal, Canada. In this session, I'll be talking to you about how and when should we assess rest response to new adjuvant and adjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. I think it's important to start with a disclaimer that there is very little definitive data to guide our decisions in this space. Most of us will apply the approved regimens of immunotherapy before or after surgery, and unfortunately, we don't have much to guide our decisions other than our usual clinical practices that we've been using in the space of pre- or post-operative therapy, which are limited to uh, imaging responses. Nonetheless, I think there's some important things to learn from current practice as well as emerging data from some of the uh, new technologies we can potentially apply to this patient population. So in my practice, some of the key measures of response after new adjuvant therapy are both CT chests, and I prefer contrast-infused scan, particularly for more complex anatomy, as well as PET scans. These are the primary imaging metrics that were utilized in uh, Checkmate 816, as well as many of the ongoing phase three periadjuvant studies. So as I said, uh, CT chest with contrast infusion was required by all the neoadjuvant immunotherapy protocols to date, provides very helpful information on clinical downstaging. And although the correlation with pathological response between recessed findings, objective response rates, and, and what we see under the microscope once the tumor is resected is ill-defined at this point, the scans are quite helpful for surgical planning. PET scans were not required by all the new adjuvant protocols in the post-induction space. They were as part of uh, the uh, staging requirements for inclusion. And I do think that they can provide some very helpful information, particularly looking at the change in uh, SUV before and after uh, treatment. And indeed, they, they can be more sensitive than CT with regards to assessing distant or contralateral metastatic progression, which remains an extremely unusual scenario. But I think for that purpose, it has value. That said, PET scan can generate some spurious data with which uh, we are sometimes faced to not really know what to do. And this was well demonstrated by uh, Tina Cascone and the team at MD Anderson, where they described this notion of nodal immune flare that occurs after preoperative immunotherapy. I think it's worth going into some detail about this because patients after induction or new adjuvant immunotherapy may have new nodal disease that lights up on PET scan, which was not present preoperatively. So the top set of panels is a nice example of that where uh, the patient had a fairly focal 4L lymph node prior to treatment. And then afterwards, the patient looked like they had increased uptake in those lymph nodes as well as new uptake in the contralateral 4R position. At resection, this turned out to be uh, benign and was indeed a case of nodal immune flare. But there are also scenarios where such uh, lymph nodes will emerge, such as the one that came up here in the prevascular space on the J panel, uh, which was indeed metastatic lung cancer. So PET scanning 
is not something that I routinely do in my current clinical practice unless indicated by size significant increase or contralateral or unresectable nodal or distant metastatic disease. And the reason I don't do PETs on a regular basis is that we know from Neostar that anywhere from 10 to 20% of patients will have this nodal immune flare, which will trigger invasive mediastinal staging that will turn out to be benign. And so for efficiency's sake, at least in my practice, I limit the investigation to a contrast-infused CT and uh, will resect provided the disease remains resectable, which the vast majority of the time it is. So this uh, again brings us to this point, which I've touched on briefly on the notion of invasive mediastinal restaging. Most of the data we do have on this approach uh, arise from neoadjuvant chemoradiation trials, uh, where some centers would not progress to surgery if there was persistent N2 disease, but other centers would progress to surgery even if there was persistent N2. And so there is some disagreement or controversy about that. I think in the current setting with immunotherapy and with the latest data that's been presented relating event-free survival based on degree of pathological response in the nodes versus the primary tumor, it seems to be a compelling argument to proceed to surgery regardless of whether there's persistent N2 as long as the disease remains resectable. And for that reason, in my own practice, I do not perform routine invasive mediastinal restaging. CTDNA is another adjunct that's been explored in, in the trial space, although we don't really have any compelling evidence to use it routinely in clinical practice. It does seem that patients who develop a complete molecular response who had detectable ctDNA at baseline and develop a complete molecular response uh, after induction treatment have a higher likelihood of having a pathological complete response, uh, but we have not figured out how to use that information to tailor the care of the patient at this point. So this, And the sensitivity of the technology does remain low, particularly for non-squamous histologies. When we compare the Checkmate 816 and the DEEM2 trials uh, for the correlation between complete pathological response and survival, on the left, Checkmate 816 is with regards to event-free survival, and on the right, it's with regards to overall survival. But regardless, the occurrence of a PCR does translate to excellent survival outcomes and uh, is a very important prognostic signal to share with patients. So in summary, for new adjuvant therapy, there are... Uh, few data to support our decisions prior to surgery. I, like I said, contrast-infused CT I think is the minimal requirement and really should be applied before and after for a safe surgical plan to be executed and to rule out um, any gross uh, progression of disease. PET scan in my practice and perspective rarely changes the management and it can lead to some confusing findings, but it is a potentially useful modality to use in routine practice. Uh, certainly its greatest um, asset is in terms of excluding distant metastatic spread. With all of these uh, imaging modalities, there are none that consistently predict the degree of pathological responses. Invasive mediastinal restaging uh, should be done when there's convincing evidence of contralateral nodal progression or if for whatever reason the disease seems to no longer be resectable. Uh, CTDNA assessments remain, I think, in the realm of research at this point and have no proven utility uh, for modifying our, our approach to patients in the current setting. And I think pathological complete response is uh, clearly our most meaningful measure of response at this point in the context of neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy. 
So what are the key measures of response in the adjuvant setting? Well, adjuvant therapy has always been a little bit uh, challenging for the medical oncology community because you're, you're essentially treating blind with no measurable disease on scan to know whether the treatment being given has a, any efficacy. And I think it's important to note that a recent uh, trial conducted in Spain comparing surveillance CT chest versus chest x-ray after complete resection for early stage lung cancer demonstrated no survival benefit. So when we're trying to see if measuring molecular residual disease or CTDNA might improve outcomes, we already have evidence that uh, more sensitive tests such as CT chest has no survival advantage over a less sensitive test like chest x-ray. So it's hard to imagine that molecular detection of disease would really uh, be the difference maker. But because of the unmet needs in these early stage patients who do frequently recur, I think it is valuable to continue to explore how to uh, better adjudicate post-operative treatments for these patients. So in this regard, uh, tumor-informed CTDNA to measure molecular residual disease is currently the only potential surrogate measure of response to adjuvant ICI. Um, and some trials have attempted to be designed to address this question, but there are ongoing significant technical challenges with the execution of, of such a um, diagnostic and treatment plan. What we do know without any doubt is that molecular residual disease positivity post-resection is highly prognostic for survival where we see patients that do have CTDNA in the blood have much worse outcomes than those who don't. Uh, adjuvant immunotherapy seems to provide benefit regardless of CTDNA positivity and I'll go through the data supporting that in a moment from the Empower O1O trial and really uh, putting it all together I think MRD remains research-based with no clear evidence of clinical utility other than its prognostic significance at this point in time. So this is the CTDNA data from Empower O1O. We clearly see that having positive CTDNA brings much worse survival, but there seem to be survival benefits, at least at the DFS endpoint, both in the CTDNA negative and positive cohorts, suggesting that while it may be a bad sign to have positive CTDNA, it is not a decisional finding with regards to whether or not to administer post-operative immunotherapy. So in conclusion, I think we need more granular data about restaging practices and the utility of invasive staging after neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy to guide our management and real-world practice. We need to better understand how to utilize pathological complete response data beyond simple prognostication. I think CTDNA technology is promising, but remains purely prognostic at this point. And I think more trials acting on CTDNA data are needed to see if it helps us identify that cohort of early stage patients who really do benefit from perioperative systemic therapy to optimize their survival outcomes. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.